You can have a seat, everybody. Let me welcome you again this morning, and let me say that if you are someone who is kind of uh, inclined to use your hands and your body, um, uh, let me invite you to, to maybe head back into the narthex. That's the fancy word for that space right behind that wall where there's a table and a cart full of all sorts of materials. Kids, of course, we think of you when we put that together, but this is for anyone, young, old, or otherwise. Uh, to, to just have a way of engaging your mind and your body in these next few minutes. Um, the kids are not leaving today, in case you didn't catch that. They're uh, last Sunday of the month, which was like, oh my gosh, it's the last Sunday of September already. Okay, that's fine. It's fine. Um, so when that is the case around here, our kids stay with us in this space. So they are doing that today. I want to, before I get to kind of the sermon today, I do want to um, just mention this that is coming up in less than a month now. We are going to not be here on Sunday the 15th and instead head north about 45 minutes to a small little camp and spend 10 to 4 together. We're actually going to structure the day in a way that if you could only be there from 10 to noon, which would kind of be a typical Sunday experience, um, we're going to structure the day in a way that you could come from 10 to 2 and then leave, and that would work. But of course, we would love everyone to stay for the whole time. Why are we doing this? Well, fun. Uh, we like to be together and eat together and connect with each other. Um, and I think a retreat, this, this space that we're planning, is an effort to have a different pace, to give each of us just a few moments to step out of the race that we are in every day and uh, integrate the things that we are talking about in this uh, little series here on Sunday mornings. Um, when we get together like this in this space, there's plenty of opportunity for reflection, even potentially action, but if we're honest, and if I'm honest, uh, as someone who leads a space like this. This space has limited, uh, yeah, limited impact. Uh, just in the, in the sense that only so much can happen in an hour together. And um, therefore, we need all of us spaces to really try to think carefully about our lives and whether or not we are living the lives that we want to live and so this uh, retreat's going to offer that, and it's going to do it in a way that works for every age. So we're going to have something for young, young ones. They're going to break out for a while and go and do some things that are very age-appropriate. Students are going to have a chance to have some age-appropriate conversation. Adults will have, and then we'll have time when we're all together uh, playing and eating as well. Anyway, October 15th, 10 to 4, uh, we'd love to have you come on that. It really connects, again, to what we're talking about in this series in which we're trying to think about our core values as a church. What are the building blocks of our life together? What matters to us? And today I want to talk about the core value of relational grace. We have five core values 
this is one of them, and here's a little bit of language that tries to explain what we're talking about when we speak of relational grace. Uh, it begins with, we will disagree. Not we might, not it could possibly happen. We're just trying to be as honest as we can with ourselves that we will disagree. And that is not just with ourselves and those out in the world or in our home. There are plenty of disagreements there. But we will disagree with each other here as well in this space. It's inevitable. It's part of the human experience. And I don't think we do ourselves any favors when we try to pretend that this isn't the case. So the question is, who will we be when we disagree? And we're trying to say that we want to follow the lead of Christ which is one of humility and grace, and that it's possible, it's possible to hold our convictions and still be curious and kind. They're not mutually exclusive things. So this is one of our core values, and to get at it today, to think about it uh, for a few moments here, we're going to be in Luke 19. This is a story maybe you've heard before, or maybe the, the person in this story you've heard of before. It's possible you've even sang a pretty silly song about a person in this story, because this is the story about Zacchaeus. A wee little man. How in the world we ended up there, I don't know, but it's stuck. Um, I, I can sing it for you right now. We're not going to sing it. Uh, let's instead read this story from Luke 19. Jesus entered Jericho. He's on his way to Jerusalem. And there's a road from Jericho to Jerusalem. And he made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy, but the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give away half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I've cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. So if, I, and I don't, but if I were to title sermons, you know, sometimes you'll find a church and every sermon in the bulletin's got a title. If I were to do that, and I don't, um, I would call this one surprise, surprise, surprise. Because I think that's all that this story really is. It's one surprise after another. And if you, if you grew up singing songs about Zacchaeus, then maybe the surprise is lost because you just kind of know this story so well. So I want to invite us to pause for a moment, do something we haven't done probably for a month or two, but this is a QR code to a Google Doc 
where you can add what you think is surprising in this story. I'm going to give us a minute or two. If you're online, of course, please, please, please. Uh, hopefully you can get your phone out and scan this QR code. If you're here, please do it. The more the merrier. And listen, there's not like an infinite number of surprising things in this story. So in this Google Doc, we're going to have duplicates. Don't worry about it. If you see someone else writing the same thing, who cares? Write it anyway. Let me give you a minute here to just uh, think about the story. Don't worry about whether it's right or, or the best answer. Just put down what you think. What, what struck you? What do you think is surprising? unexpected, shocking, abnormal, hmm, curious, right? And we'll, we'll see what we come up with here together. Definitely feel free to talk about it amongst yourselves if you need a little bit of help, you want to run it by somebody. Good. Okay. See, this, I knew this would happen. You are all, you're coming up with things I hadn't even thought of. This is why we do this. I had, I think, seven or eight things, and you're, you're coming up with, again, things I didn't quite put together in this way. This is why we do it. Yeah, good luck spelling Zacchaeus. That still gets me. So just put Z if you want. It's fine. Um, it's it's a, an unusual combination of letters. There's an A in there, if you can believe it. So this is good stuff. What, what animals do we have? Anonymous buffalo, dingo, hedgehog, duck, hippo. I love it. Ooh, iguana. Very exciting. A leaguer. Anyone know what a leaguer is? L-I-G-E-R. Someone's in it. Thank you. Uh, what? Is it a real animal that I don't know about? Oh, boy. I'd like to think I am pretty in tune with the world of nature. And I'm, I have, but clearly don't remember, yes, 20 years ago probably. Um, educational in multiple facets, okay, good. So feel free to keep going here. Um, there's a few folks who mentioned that um, you know, there's this surprise that he's giving his wealth back and that it happens so quickly and where's he getting four times as much money? Those are all like really great questions and it probably is Maybe one of the most shocking parts of this story. I, I do want to just say that in the biblical text, there's often, uh, how, to, how to say this, like it's hard to judge time. And so in this story, when you read it, it seems like Zacchaeus just kind of like climbs down from the tree and says to Jesus, hey man, I'll give back everything that I've cheated. 
it's possible, and I think probably more likely when I think of the human experience, that while there is delight at coming down the tree and being seen, it's not possibly until later in the evening, hours and hours later after dinner, um, after a lot of conversation, maybe some back and forth. Who knows? It's not necessarily important. Even if it's hours and hours and hours later, it's still quite surprising. Fair? But let's walk through some of these, and I'll combine them with some things that, that um, stood out to me. Someone said, a grown man climbed a tree. That was my first one as well. Wow. That's not necessarily easy. He is clearly motivated, and it's an odd thing to do. Just do we agree? Again, we sing the story, and so it's maybe normal, but it's not normal. But Zacchaeus does exactly that. It's surprising out of the gate, right? What? It's normal if you're short. Fair enough. Okay, fair enough. Um, Jesus stops. That's surprising. Someone mentions this, I think, right? Calls him out of the crowd when there's all these other people around him. The fact just that Jesus stops is surprising. He has, he's on his way somewhere, and it's to the end of his life. He's going to Jerusalem for the first and last time in Luke's gospel to die. He knows this. He has some sense that this is the end for him. I don't know if there's a bigger mission, a bigger reason to ignore the guy up in the tree, but Jesus doesn't do that. It's surprising. And then he calls him by name. How does he know his name? Hmm. Is it just some sort of divine, you know, insight? Is Zacchaeus so well known? He's the regional tax collector. Has Jesus heard about him? Um, we don't know for sure, but he does call him by name. And then he invites himself to Zacchaeus' house. And I suppose you've got to give Jesus some uh, leeway here. He doesn't have a home. We maybe forget that. Okay, he doesn't have a place to invite someone to. Jesus relies on the hospitality of others, his whole ministry. Um, but it's still a pretty bold and shocking and surprising thing to be like, I'm coming over. You got some food, right? I mean, that's just, wow. But... Yeah, it's all of a sudden. It's very surprising. Very last minute. Yeah, give me, give me some warning here. He doesn't, but Zacchaeus says, yes, that's a shock. That's surprising. Right? That's probably right. Right. And then, as we said, Zacchaeus' heart has changed, and we have these dramatic actions. So it's surprise, surprise, surprise. And... Part of the surprise here is the odd couple that Jesus and Zacchaeus are. You could say, and I think rightly so, that Zacchaeus and Jesus are enemies. Again, we, we know the story, we sing songs about it, so maybe we don't think about it in these terms, but when you just consider who these two people are, that Jesus is Jewish, and as a Jew living in that land, it means he's occupied by the Roman, it's a land occupied by the Roman government. It's a land oppressed by the Roman government. How does Zacchaeus get rich? It's by cheating people. He's, Zacchaeus and tax collectors are given freedom by Rome to collect, to collect the taxes that Rome demands, and then kind of whatever else they want. And so a tax collector could 
uh, extort people very easily, and this is how Zacchaeus almost certainly becomes this very wealthy individual. And so Jesus, a Jew living in a land oppressed, and Zacchaeus, the oppressor, the traitor. Jesus, poor, no home. Zacchaeus, filthy rich. Jesus, pious, religious, holy. Zacchaeus, hard to see that he is anything but that. This relationship really makes no sense. What would have made sense is if Jesus had stopped, called Zacchaeus by name, and condemned him. That would have made sense in the world. At the very least, maybe debated him, used some verbal jiu-jitsu, proven how wrong Zacchaeus was, what a, what a betrayal he had committed against the Jewish people. I think this is what the crowd expects to happen. And it's why in verse 7, you know, we get this, this mention that the people were displeased and grumbled. They're not surprised so much as they're displeased. They're upset. They're angry. And we should ask ourselves, why? Well, perhaps it's because they want Jesus to respond to his enemy, to the other, in the way that we typically respond to our enemies, which is fight or flight. Think about this for a moment. It's in our instinctive nature, our reptilian brain triggers us to respond to our enemies, to the other, to the person who's different or thinks differently than we do with either fight or flight. I'm going to combat you. I'm going to beat you. I'm going to win. Or I'm just going to create as much distance between you and me as possible. And so again, I think not surprisingly, the people in this story want Jesus to do one or the other, and it's probably fight, if we're being honest. Battle this guy, Jesus. Put him in his place. Shame him. Demean him. Tell him how wrong he is. Tell him he can climb the tallest tree in the world, but you'll never see him fight this guy. Or... I guess at least ignore him. Don't even say a word. Maybe spit in his direction, but don't even give him the dignity of your eye contact. Fight or flight. And yet Jesus does neither, right? And it shocks everyone. I suspect most of all it shocks Zacchaeus. To have your enemy... Jesus, move toward you, but not to fight you, <laughs> to embrace you? I don't know who could have guessed that this is what would have happened. And yet we are called to do the same. You and I are called to act surprisingly, to treat our enemies unexpectedly, to resist that fight-or-flight instinct and instead follow Jesus' lead. What does it mean to act surprisingly? 
maybe a lot of things. Um, I'll offer this today. I think we act surprisingly, or in other words, we act like Jesus did when we rehumanize the other. The norm, the, the instinctive move for us as human beings is to dehumanize the other. Those who vote differently, those who look differently, those whose sexual orientation is different than ours, those who believe something differently than we do. And one way that we dehumanize them is by categorizing people. Just give this some thought here for a moment about how this might happen in your own life. We turn unique individuals with stories and experiences and hope and pain and families into a category or a label, right? Uh, we say that, you know, my coworker is a wacko liberal. Or my neighbor is a mega wacko. Everybody's a wacko, by the way, right? If they're the other, they're nuts. We don't say, my coworker grew up in a home that didn't have much. I've learned their story, and I've, I've come to understand that as a kid, they, they relied on government programs to just have food on the table. And so they've grown up to really think that the government should have these social welfare programs and we should be expanding them, and it, right, on and on. We, don't, we usually don't do that. We instead just categorize them, label them. And we do it without even noticing. We turn individuals just into a label. We forget that they are unique people. And when you and I forget that someone is human, when we dehumanize them, it becomes so much easier to degrade them or demean them, dismiss them, and it becomes so much easier to elevate yourself. Which is to say that when we categorize or when we label, all that we do is widen and deepen the gap that exists between us and the other. It's really a way of fighting or flighting. Labeling is, categorizing is. It's a way of fighting or flighting, right? We can fight people by calling them names. We can fly from them by just lumping them into a group, that group over there, that label, and in doing so, we create distance from them. It kind of works in both ways. Again, though, what does Jesus do? exactly the opposite. It's an act of rehumanization with Zacchaeus. And we see it, it in, that, in the text in Luke 19. See, one thing that Jesus does is he calls Zacchaeus by name. Such a simple little part of the story, probably easily missed or not thought of much. But you know what it's like to have someone use your name. Maybe to be in a place where you're um, new or a place that's unfamiliar and to have someone come up to you who you met last week and they use your name. It means something. 
And here Jesus doesn't say, hey, guy in the tree, or you, or tax collector, come down. He says Zacchaeus. It's a rehumanizing step to take. And so I wonder if perhaps in our lives, when we think about the other, the enemy, that person over there, I wonder if we wouldn't be helped by, instead of using a label, we used their name. Instead of the wacko liberal, we called them by name. It's a small thing, and yet it isn't. And maybe, uh, maybe we don't know their name, you know, right? That's certainly the case. That group over there who's supporting that political candidate, we might not have a particular individual in mind, but can we at least remember that that group, that label, that category is made up of individual people, all of whom have names, all of whom have stories, all of whom have families, went to school like you, have a job, live somewhere, have hopes for the future, have fears like you, right? It's simple, and yet it's really quite important. It rehumanizes the other. So Jesus does this with Zacchaeus. The other thing that he does is he shares a table. He shares a table with Zacchaeus. He moves toward him. Maybe that's the point. I, I, maybe also the point is that you and I would do well to share a table, to literally have a cup of coffee with the person who is the other. That's a tall order. But maybe that's the step to take, and again, maybe more broadly, it's just trying to think of a way to move toward the person who is not like us. Jesus moves toward Zacchaeus. You may have seen that last week I was in Israel and Palestine. Um, if, if you don't know, for a little bit of context, I work here part-time. I have for 18 years. It's the way we've modeled our staff. And so I've had a part-time job elsewhere for really almost all of those 18 years. And right now I'm working with a dear friend, bringing people to Israel-Palestine for tours. And when we bring people, we do what you would expect us to do, which is uh, part of our trips involves showing folks the Holy Land, right? And all the things of that place that people typically go to see, like the Sea of Galilee where Jesus walked and did so much of his ministry, or the spot in Jerusalem where Tradition says Jesus was crucified and, and was put in a tomb. And we take people to these places. But about half of our trip involves taking people um, to meet Israelis and Palestinians who are working for peace in relationship to this very, very, oh, so destructive conflict between Israelis and Palestinians. One of the groups that we bring people to is a group called Parents Circle. I only put the website up there, um, of course, not because you would go right now, because then you wouldn't listen to me anymore. But, you know, at a future time, you might go there. 
Uh, they have stories that they've shared online. You can just learn about the organization. But Parent Circle is made up of Israelis and Palestinian parents, primarily, who have lost children or immediate family members to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. So when we took a group last fall, we met with an Israeli who had lost his daughter to a suicide bomber who was Palestinian. He was sitting in the chair next to a Palestinian who lost his son when the Israeli military raided his Palestinian village and a stray bullet killed his son. These parents are committed to peace. They see that the, the trajectory of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, which is fight, not really flight, it's just kind of all fight, is, is going nowhere. And it's making both the lives of Palestinians and the lives of Israelis worse. They believe that the only way forward is for these enemies to share a table. And when our groups go and listen to the folks of Parent Circle, it's emotionally moving, of course, but one of the consistent kind of reactions people have is surprise. How can these two people who've lost so much now devote their lives to being together in a way that might somehow help move things toward peace? It, it defies logic. It defies emotion. It's shocking and so moving. This is what they say on their website. If you happen to go there, you might find this, this quote. To get to know the personal and national narrative of the other, this is their mission, as an important step towards reconciliation between the peoples. To get to know the names of the other, not just Palestinians and Israelis, but to get to know the names and the stories, to share a table, to sit in chairs next to each other, this is an important step toward reconciliation. And obviously this is a dramatic, complicated, you know, um, example here that I'm sharing with you from Parent Circle, and it may feel a world away, and it is, and it isn't. Because this same truth is true for you and for me. To get to know the personal, national, theological, historical narrative of the other, it's an important step toward reconciliation. Not fight or flight, but getting to know people. Rehumanizing folks. It's a way forward. And as I think about this next year in our country, first of all, I just get exhausted, and it's not like even here yet. Um, not in earnest. But obviously, it is going to be very challenging, exhausting, complex, disheartening, etc. It's going to be really tough in a lot of ways. 
And we'll have a choice, probably lots of choices, to fight or to flight. But it's not just in relationship to the political divisions or the, right, those divisions that exist on that plane. I'm sure you have disagreements in your home with the people you love most. And fight or flight is an instinctive move there as well. And even here, among us, in this community of people, we don't always agree. What do we do when we disagree? Fight? Flight, try and just ignore or create as much distance as possible or pretend that things are fine, or do we try to take steps that actually move us toward reconciliation? One of our values here is relational grace. Do we do this perfectly? Of course not. But our, our desire, our longing is to follow the lead of Jesus and to extend grace in our relationships, to be humble toward each other, to always lead with love, and to be people who move toward each other, seeing each other as individuals made by God, worthy of respect, worthy of kindness. doesn't mean we're always going to agree. We're not. We are not always going to agree. But we can always love. And so let me close this morning by just asking a question and, and then inviting you to take a moment of reflection. Here's the question. Uh, who is your enemy or who is the other in your life today? Who just comes to mind? It may be a specific person. It may be more generally a group or again a label or a category. Who is this for you? We all have them. There are others in all of our lives. It's important, I think, to have an awareness about who those people are so that then we can ask, what might it look like to rehumanize the other? And I don't have all the answers, and I certainly don't have the, the step that is appropriate for you to take today, but here are some things to maybe consider or to jumpstart your imagination. I think sometimes in order for us to be rehumanizers, we, we just need to have our own hearts softened a bit. We become hard-hearted. So maybe the first step is to ask the Spirit of God to, to soften our heart or to give us the strength to act surprisingly, the creativity to know how to share a table, what that might even look like, courage to see someone as an individual, to call them by name, awareness to catch ourselves when we are in fight or flight. And so on your seat is a leaf, or nearby, in a seat nearby. You may have to look at a row behind you or in front of you, but somewhere close should be, hopefully, a leaf and maybe a pen even. And what we're doing each week as a way of responding is we're, we're kind of filling this, this in as we go as, as one way. You certainly, of course, don't have to do this, but you are welcome to write down a step, uh, an action, 
or just an idea. Or maybe you do want to write down the name of the other. It might be good to not put down the name of an individual, but you could, you could write it in a way that we wouldn't know. Or just to write down how this is hard for you, how it's hard for all of us, of course, but you could write something about that down. And we're going to take communion here in a moment, and um, you'll have the chance to come forward. And if you would like, during that time, you also could choose to attach your leaf to this board somewhere. There's tape, two-sided tape up here. Um, don't worry, we don't, we're never going to read these out loud. Um, you know, there, there is a level of anonymity, um, even though it is not completely anonymous. But given, I guess, our world today, I mean, as a conflict-averse guy by nature, I'd like to just ignore this whole thing. Honestly. I like flight. Flight's my, my jam. You know. But I just don't know how that moves us any closer to the world that, that we want to live in that God calls us to help co-create. Fight or flight doesn't get us there. That doesn't mean we don't stand up for our convictions. That's not what this is, and I, I hope I haven't miscommunicated to give that impression, if, if that was the impression. We can have our convictions. We should have our convictions. But we can still be curious and kind. Let's move into communion together.